Hello and welcome back to the Cracked Out Podcast, episode 24. I counted and looked it up this time. Um, as always, I'm Charlie Folkstead, joined by Reed Tingley. And, uh, well, we some of us thought we were going to be going to the spring game this Saturday. Uh, unfortunately, um, we can't. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lay out, I mean, you know why we can't. Uh, I'm not going to place blame on anybody as to why. Um, we don't need to get into that, but uh kind of sucks. But either way, um, it, we'll still be able to watch it on TV. I believe it's on Pac-12 Network at 2 p.m. this Saturday. Um, but we do have a lot to discuss because, uh, as we just talked about, our last episode was April 4th. That's kind of crazy, considering it's almost the end of April now. Um we got a lot to talk about that's happened in spring camp. Um, we haven't really been doing periodic updates because we don't, I mean, at that point, it's, again, our lack of exposure is so crazy that, like, it's not really worth it. Um, so we're here to catch up on that now. Uh, we got some um, NFL draft stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, we got some expansion debate at the end of this, which I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it's a long no, time no further comment <laughs> um, and uh we also have some fan takes and questions to go over so yeah let's get down into it first of all um reed i believe you have something to plug for yourself yes yeah yeah um i've been uh as as you all know i've been um doing some writing for duck's digest um, under Sports Illustrated, and uh, I got to do a couple interviews over the weekend. So my story on um, Cameron Williams, who is a four-star offensive lineman out of Texas, I have an interview with him that's uh, just out. And then I also got to talk to Tyler Booker, who's uh, the, I think, 40th ranked prospect in the country. He's an uh, offensive tackle out of uh, IMG Academy down in uh florida also where josh delgado went um so yeah check those out if you're interested um i think the the booker one will probably be out by the time you guys have seen that are seeing are hearing this um so yeah if you're interested check those out it was cool to talk about those guys and their major ducks target targets and trying to kind of keep up the trend of offensive line talent coming out of oregon so yeah Sweet. And um, obviously, I, I don't have to say this twice, like, or I, I don't really have to say this at all, but um, <laughs> Reed is the most knowledgeable person I know about Ducks recruiting stuff. And like, he's finally getting the status that he deserves as like an insider, almost, almost, um, <laughs> <laughs> slowly, tediously. Uh, yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that like when we started this over a year or about a year ago now, I feel like, uh, maybe a little less than that. Yeah. When we were talking about it, it was about a year ago now. Yeah, that's right. Um, we were still just like two dudes in a basement, uh, or in, in your random guest room at your house. Well, <laughs> three back then. Cause we still had Paul doing stuff. 
Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, and now you now you have a job writing about this. This is cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's super it's super cool to just get a platform through Max Torres um, at Ducks Digest. And yeah, like you said, it, it, I don't know. It's just cool to kind of um, be able to talk about this stuff and have people be interested in what I have to say because like like you i mean like i love this program so much it's stuff i like following anyways and i mean i i feel like a fan first and foremost like mm -hmm. and so i really appreciate um i appreciate that other people take the time to like read or listen to our stuff a lot and i definitely don't want to come off ever as like uh above the people who are listening or reading you know <laughs> like uh, that's not our shtick at all we we don't like fancy ourselves like experts per se we're just people who spend a hell of a lot of time an unhealthy uh, amount of time what, what yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and if we didn't have any place to put it then it would be um it would be pr even more unhealthy so uh, yeah i mean yeah. we're we're just <laughs> taking uh the public information that everybody has and you know giving it giving you our take on it um yeah so let's get down to it um Again, I kind of opened with this, but the spring game will have no fans, unfortunately. Uh, I was really hyped for that. Um, yeah, I think, I think everyone was, you know, like I, yeah. my take on it. I mean, personally, like I'm being in uh, New Orleans right now, like I wasn't going to get to go, but I'm bummed for everyone else. Um, and it's just it's just a bummer. Like fans wanted to, yeah. players wanted it, coaches wanted it, like. Especially and, with the practice you know, being open last week, it kind of felt like, okay, we're finally like moving toward, we're moving in the right direction finally. And then this is yeah. kind of another setback just statewide. It sort of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're not going to like, yeah, get into the politics of it, but yeah, I mean, more so it sucks for it the all, players and like fam yeah. families and parents who like made the trip out um, or yeah, exactly. for unfortunately anyone uh, who might've like, you know, I saw someone like just flying out a relative and putting them in a hotel to go to this game, and now they can't. Like, that's just super unfortunate. Um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's the last time we have to deal with all this, and by the by the fall, it's all better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there is another big event coming up soon, though, um, that some Duck fans will probably be interested in. Come to think of it, I don't even know when the NFL draft is. Do you I think it starts uh, Thursday is is the first round. Friday is the second and third, and then Saturday maybe is four, five, six. If I'm right, uh, that's off the top of my head though. That could be off a little it's, bit, but that I th sounds it's, right. It's like it's like this week. It's definitely yeah. Um, from everything I've seen, which I haven't really done digging for, but stuff that just pops up on my timeline, um, Sewell's still looking like a top like five, ten pick. I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's supposed to go. I think people say the highest he could go is like fifth to the Bengals. And then some people are hoping no, like the chargers could move somewhere to try to get him. And that, yeah, uh, they could late, be a reunion like yeah. eight to 12 range or something. If he slips a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and then there's Holland's probably a day two guy. And then, it's like Graham Lenore and, and a bunch of guys, obviously, that we all know. Um, I mean, I don't follow the NFL like that closely, so I'm pulling for the Ducks guys. Like, I'll be super hyped to see them drafted, but I'm not, like, your, your mock draft expert. Um, 
Yeah. Or anything. No, so, <laughs> But it's something to note, definitely. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at this point, the NFL for me is like, oh, Justin's playing and I can watch the game in front of me? Yeah, sure, I'll put it on. Um, yeah. But if there's anything else going on, then I don't really care personally. Uh, yeah, same. My, <laughs> losing all of my Saturdays usually enough uh, enough loss of <laughs> workload that I need to <laughs> re I need to use Sunday to recoup. Yes. Um, but either way, I mean, yeah, it's it's super fun to see guys drafted. I mean, I, I watched the draft last year uh, when Herbert went uh, in the first round. That's fun. Um, so yeah, I I think everybody's sort of rooting for a Panay and Justin reu- reunion in LA. That'd be really cool. Yeah, definitely. But what we're really here to talk about um, is to get you guys primed and get ourselves primed, because I know I'm about to learn something, for the spring game coming up this Saturday. Um, I think it's safe to say that the biggest storyline is still the quarterback battle. Um, And I also think it's safe to say from what we've seen that Anthony Brown is... Looking like he's going to be the guy to hold down that sort of presumed number one spot that um, people are kind of putting him in. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I think we it's actually one of the spots we've kind of learned more about than anything because mm-hmm. uh, it's, at, I mean, at least we haven't get, gone to see them play uh, unless you got to go to the scrimmage um, last Saturday. But we did get to um, at least kind of we get to hear uh, in the in the interviews and stuff like what are the distribution of reps and every time Cristobal has said uh, Anthony Brown is getting pretty much all of the reps with the ones right now mm-hmm. um, so that's pretty notable uh, it just it seems like he's the guy right now I mean that's definitely who my money's on I think that's what you'd have to say if you're following the evidence right now I would give a little bit of a caveat just that um that, you know, this is still spring uh, and we have, you know, a, a summer and then we have the fall camp launch, launches off and falls where a lot of those position battles are really decided. So I think, you know, if, if a Ty Thompson or something really got comfortable with the playbook over the summer and developed some more chemistry with some of the receivers and then comes in to fall looking, you know, a little more polished and settled into his college career and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then maybe things could get interesting. But yeah, right now it seems like Brown's the guy. Brown's probably who's going to be with the ones uh, for the spring game, if if that's kind of how it is. Um, but even more interesting to me has, has been actually kind of the division of reps at the twos has been pretty even, um, mm-hmm. it sounds like, between uh, Butterfield, uh, Jay Butterfield, Ty Thompson, and then Robbie Ashford, has been more involved than I kind of uh, expected him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I know he's a capable player, but um, last year, Chris Wall kind of came out and said, uh, you know, Butterfield was the guy who had pulled ahead for the mm-hmm. the third reps behind yeah. then Shuck and Brown. And he, he made a clear distinction of that. That made me think, you know, of the incumbents other than Brown, Butterfield was going to be the guy to make a push for it. And um, I mean, especially Ash- especially in these spring sessions where, I mean, let's not forget, Robbie Ashford is a baseball player. Like, right. he, has, he has to limit his time that he can spend in practice, not just because of actual time conflicts with baseball, but because there are NCAA regulations about how much time you can spend 
in practice and playing games and devoting to athletics as a student athlete. So, I mean, it's, it's really tough on him with time management, but I mean, good on him. Every, every quack minute, it seems like every practice report that Mosley gives us, I mean, there's something in there about how well Ashford has been throwing. So, yeah. 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 I think for me, it's just, it feels pretty good. Um, you know, for the future of the quarterback position, uh, Kind of, if this is how it works out, I think that Ducks fans can be happy in the fact that Anthony Brown has some experience and, uh, you know, we'll let these guys push him. But if he gets the job, then we can be excited about that, buy into it for a year. I think he can lead this team to a conference title and maybe playoff contention. You know, who knows how that will go exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you divide these reps at the two position and you make it clear it's a real competition then you set yourself up for a really healthy quarterback room come 2022 um where you have you know if if thompson butterfield and ashford are back all again next year competing then i'll feel really Huge. good about the fact that we're going to get an awesome quarterback um next year as well so it, it feels like that room's in a really good position to me and I feel, uh, you know, good enough about Anthony Brown too taking, taking snaps at as the ones, and I'm excited to see him in some real performance in a Ducks uniform Saturday to kind of confirm that. And we'll probably see him throw more snaps than we ever have, really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that, exactly. That will be more than the USC and um, Iowa State games. To, yeah, yeah, games combined. So that will be fun to see, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, again, like you said with the twos, like, it is not set in stone that Anthony Brown will be taking the majority of the snaps in the fall. Um, no matter how right. good he does in spring, or no matter how good we think he does more accurately in spring, um, I mean, stuff can always happen. Like, anyone who was around for the 2007 season knows that, like, you don't want to be starting Justin Roper at the end of the season. Uh, granted, Roper play, did play great in the Sun Bowl, and no disrespect to Justin Roper, I actually love him as a you know very esoteric Ducks reference. But like, you need confidence in your backups if they do have to become backups. I mean, look at the Prukop year, twenty sixteen. Like, right. you can't expect a Justin Herbert to just come out of nowhere. I mean, these guys are on the right path to developing, and I mean. Again, ultimately, like, you never really know until guys get out there on the field how they're going to perform. So um, it, it's always good to have depth in your quarterback room. You, it's good to have depth everywhere, but especially in your quarterback room. <laughs> and especially yeah. in a year like this that is still, like, mired in uncertainty. Again, it feels like Brown is the incumbent starter by now, but in reality, like you said, he's barely even thrown the ball for us in meaningful games like yeah yeah but like you said i mean it is really nice to have this level of depth because you know oregon i mean has some some woes in our past with you know a jeff Lockyer <laughs> exactly, or exactly. coming in like i i feel like you know if you told me hey we got cal next week and any of these four guys is our starter i would say all right you know uh you know it won't be easy but i we can win. Yeah. I think we yeah. can win. And and there have been quarterbacks um, after injury or what have you that have been trot out there for the Ducks where it's been like, 
yeah, you know, we're going to just have to run the ball pretty much. Yeah. These, this guy's a decoy back there. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we, he's not a, he can't play at the Pac-12 level, really. Like, you're better um, off running the triple option at that point. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, so that that room's in a great spot. Yeah. Um, another position group that I think we've seen. I think it's safe to say again, all of this is straight from Rob Mosley. Like we don't have any. Nobody else has access to anything. Um, yeah. But I think another position group we can assume is progressing well is offensive line. Um, we've we've seen a lot of guys. You know according to Mosley, solidify their starting spots. Um, we've seen guys like Dawson Jaramillo step up, um, probably into that like six-man rotation role. Um, and we've just seen, uh, again, last season, we had the departure of so many guys, including your Outland Trophy winner. Um, and so coming into this year, it's all about like creating stability. Uh, we don't have to mirror what used to be here. I mean, we just, ideally we would, and we're working towards that. But I mean, really, we just need like solid guys. We need a solid group to get it done. Oregon has never been like offensive line you up until like two years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just about creating continuity with all these guys um, and getting them physically ready for the, you know, the fall. And I feel like that's, from what we're hearing, that's progressing very well. Yeah, I think we're just, um, I think that really people didn't realize kind of how dire the offensive line situation was last spring in fall camp mm -hmm. um, to the point where like we literally had to switch players over from defensive line to offensive line. Jalen Smith, we had to like move over to just be an extra body for us. And I think, I think like the value of just bringing in these obviously like everyone knows this freshman class um which you know kingsley bram walden and jackson light are all already on campus like just having those young guys who it's like we never have to worry about like reps like like imagine like last year we literally were like there's a rep in practice that we don't have an offensive line to give to an offensive lineman to give it to. So we have to bring over a defensive line who won't even play here. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and now it's like, you know, any chance you get to give Kingsley an extra rep or something like that's awesome, of course, or any of these guys. Um, and I mean, Kingsley is probably, you know, not really fighting to just get a rep nowadays, obviously, <laughs> but, um, but whoever it is, you know, I think like last year, I think we just were really thin, like struggling to field, you know, two full units of O-linemen. And now we're comfortable kind of th with a three deep on the O-line. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just huge for the mechanics of a practice even. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that kind of can't be underrated. Even, even if you see, you know, like you probably will on Saturday, you'll, you know, I think a lot of kind of casual fans will be like, Oh yeah, well, you know, the starters still project as basically the same six names we had last year. Uh, you know, just chalk it to be the exact same performance as last year. I think that it's a lot different when you have this level of depth of talent and competition in the spring camp. Mm -hmm. Um and also the experience that those guys got even in a shortened season. Uh this this unit, you know, it will be improved at least. I mean, like 
by default with all the increased talent and the reps and all that. You know, last season is going to be a floor for this offensive line unit. Oh, uh, I would even I would even raise the floor from last year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we saw some really bad performances at some points. Um, yeah, that are just yeah. like it, it, at some points we would look at it and be like, is this you know this isn't a Mario Cristobal offensive line? And again, like we talk about, a lot of that is due to the fact that there was not even a spring practice last season. Right. Uh, no camp, no game, no spring game, anything like that. Obviously, the fourth quarter program was up and running now. Before that. And I mean, the it should be a big difference in what we see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and they, you know, like you said, they weren't great last year by any means. But you know, through all of it, they were still good enough to keep us in games. You know, I mean, yeah, even though fans were disappointed with the losses to Oregon State and Cal, those are you know games that were a couple decided by a couple of plays. Mm-hmm. So if we improve that level, you know they can take us to where we need to go in terms of, of winning the conference. Now, how will they look against Ohio state? You know, that's, that's another level that we need to see. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And how would they look if we potentially got in another, in a playoff or something, you know, that's, that's a question mark definitely, but who knows it, you know, it's not necessarily um, to be dismissed. Like I said, I, I think that there's, you know, has to have been some improvement there and it's another spot that will be exciting to see. Yeah, and I mean it's interesting that you talk about the the levels of competition when you play or regarding our, you know, offensive front five. Um, because in a lot of ways it's I mean the front seven versus the defensive line versus offensive line battle is one that is honestly sometimes kind of easy to predict. I mean, a lot of it is based on like literal size and just like pedigree of each player and experience of each player. Obviously, right. Panay was the exception to the rule with that. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> I'll be damned if Cristobal isn't trying to prepare these guys, isn't reminding these guys constantly that, I mean, the Buckeyes are going to come for their necks. And here's the right. thing, though, is if we can, if, if, big if, we can handle Ohio State early, I mean, that bodes very, very well for the end of the season. Right. I mean, assuming yeah, totally. we assuming the offensive line can play well against Ohio State, who can't they play well against? So, yeah. And and Chris Wallow lines um, and, and teams in general have showed up pretty well in big games. I mean, um, it hasn't been perfect, but, you know, I, I I mean, I definitely remember like, you know, the Auburn game um, in 2019, obviously a much more experienced, one of the best offensive line units Oregon's ever had. Mm-hmm. But um, there were you know, going into that game, uh, it wasn't quite that clear. I mean, Penne was coming off his freshman year, which was very impressive, but he wasn't, you know, the Outland favorite necessarily at that time. And we had some experienced bodies next to him. But there were questions because the Auburn defensive line in front seven was, you know, billed as the best in college football. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we came out and held our own for, um, you know, most of that game. Well, yeah, obviously um, it's, it's hard to say one thing or another happened during that game. Cause in reality right, it was exactly. like, went from total domination to what right, the hell exactly. was going on. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But it wasn't, you know, it was, it was, you take your losses and your gains, you know, but it wasn't like we were blown off the ball every play. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I optimistic that this group will, 
um, kind of like that was a proving ground for that 2019 team. I'm kind of optimistic that this staff and Chris Ball will get this group in the right, um, you know, state where at least when we go out on the field against Ohio State, I'm hoping that we can compete for a while um, Mm -hmm. and see what happens, you know, and and if they pull away late by two or three scores, then so be it. But, um, you know, maybe it comes down to the wire and maybe we pull off on, you know, crazy upset and can do it. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously that's getting ahead of ourselves a bit. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways to think about uh, how that game could go. Um, It's tough to draw. Obviously it's, it's always tough to draw conclusions. Um, before the game actually happens. But I mean, even if Oregon can, you know, establish the run early on, take it to the Buckeyes, get some early scores. I mean, shoot, we could, you know, make a run out of this thing. But yeah. like you said, that's neither here nor there right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves as usual. Um, who, what Another do you want to focus? Thing. Yeah. What do you want to focus on next from spring? Um, another big storyline for me, uh, you know, in this spring game, like one of the things I'm, I'm easily most excited to see is, uh, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton. Mm -hmm. Those two, I think, um, you know, they sit behind a pretty experienced group at at wide receiver. A lot of guys we know, Devin Williams, Micah Pittman, Jalen Redden, Johnny Johnson, obviously being the upper, upperclassmen, but those two are crazy, like, you know, some of the most talented wide receivers literally to ever step on campus in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to see them out there making plays um, and just kind of to see, like, if, if these guys really pop with our own eyes uh, is going to be really fun because they've had, you know, some mentions in the practice report. Um, they're, you know, legit playmakers, like I said, and and I'm just super excited to see you know, those, those guys actually come in and be able to catch a ball and, you know, thrown from uh, Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield <laughs> or whoever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you're finally seeing, the, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's really cool to see the fruits of recruiting actually pay dividends um, on a field, even if it's not in game yet. I mean, we're seeing just how good, uh, or at least mostly seeing how good um, the actual, I gotta, I don't have anything against Mosley. I just have to mention that every time. I don't know why it, it I just, yeah. do. um, no, totally. It's just cause I want to be there, man. You know? Um, no, but no, like, I, I mean, Mosley's yeah, Mosley. I like Mosley a lot. Like, yeah, he's, he's as, great. He's as good of a guy as we could have in there, but he's also a, you, uh, Oregon employee technically and all of that. So it's, you know, <laughs> we're just jealous of him. That's, that's really yeah. all there is. Um, like, he gets to see those guys in action as athletes, like can, you know, literally see how good they are as athletes. Um, yeah, and totally. that's totally, it, it sounds kind of, you know, novel, but that's important. That's an important step. Um, and it's a really cool one to observe as it happens. Cause again, we've seen recruits before that are kind of, you know, they bust. They're people. Right. It's a fluid thing. It's never a certainty that your five star is going to be is going to play like one. Um, so that that kind of validation, it's more so like just mental box checking for me, where it's like, okay, is this guy on track? Like, yep. Okay, saw this name. 
you know, do some, get mentioned X amount of mm-hmm. times to do good things. Like, yeah. all right, that's sort of a mental check. Like, good to know these guys are on the right path. There's no significant injuries and that there's no, like, that that they're, you know, here to play. That's what we want, right? That's what we want is competition. And we're getting totally. it. Yeah. Yeah, I think one other thing, too, on the, just on those offensive, um, well, really, too. First of all, um, uh, I think Cross Patton could be kind of a, a sleeper yeah. star in this spring game because, you know, with the injuries, like we know, to, to Dollars and Benson, uh, which are so unfortunate, you know, uh, Cross Patton's been a name mentioned a lot in spring. And then Travis Dye and CJ Verdell, you know, there's really no point in running them in the spring game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll, you know, I'm sure we'll see CJ have a few carries and Travis as well. But no one really cares, you know, We've all seen them so many times. Save their bodies for the real season when we're going to need them, and it's you know it, it probably will turn into the cross patent show for a little bit, and it will be fun to see, uh, you know, if this guy who's gotten a, a a lot of opportunity this spring, and um, you know I think he had some offers coming out of high school, but he wanted to come to Oregon. Obviously, you know his dad being big boy was <laughs> able to pay um, without a scholarship. Yeah, so. Um, but so it'll be, you know, if he can step in and, and actually, you know, we watch him and say, hey, this guy, this guy actually has a role on the team in the fall. Um, and he could actually get snaps, you know, with alongside those scholarship players in the fall because he's he has, is actually that caliber of runner. Um, that would be really exciting. And even if not, it'll just be fun to kind of, you know, see him show off his skills um, and, you know, get some snaps in Austin and all that. Yeah, exactly. Plus, uh, Trey Benton won't be at the spring game yet, right? He's not going to come. I'm, I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure what his um, what his injury situation is exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to uh, if he's going to be able to take reps. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, because obviously, like, I didn't get to go to the scrimmage, so yeah, I forget off the top of my head what exactly his timetable is, but yeah. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, either way, they. I mean, you're gonna get carries in the spring game if you're, like, our our running back room isn't that deep. Well, I mean, it's yeah. it's deep talent wise, but obviously dollars being out, um, like you said, Verdell and I are probably not gonna get too many carries because um, there's no reason to risk that kind of thing. Yeah, and then so, I wish yeah. you know if 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 Seven McGee was the, was here or something, you know, it would be really fun to watch him, but he's not, and we'll see him in the fall. Um, the other, the other thing I think, um, actually just today, we had uh, some player availability and in interviews, and mm-hmm. it was pretty interesting uh, in terms of the developments at the tight end spot. So um, we got Anthony Brown, he did an interview, um, and he mentioned that one of the people he'd been throwing to actually was Patrick Herbert, Yep. Um, which, you know, I think was kind of surprising to me and maybe caught some other fans off guard as well because Patrick is a name we haven't heard all that much um his first name at least obviously we know his last (laughs) name pretty well yeah exactly Um, he's always just kind of discussed as oh yeah Justin's brother plays too he's a tight end uh but he usually I mean I don't think he's seen any like meaningful field time yeah yeah exactly so I think, uh, and then, yeah, and then we got an interview with him, actually. He had availability, and so did Spencer Webb. So that kind of made me think uh, maybe those two are kind of inching uh, ahead to be kind of 
more um, more of the starters and maybe DJ Johnson is uh, you know not going to hold down that role even as the upperclassman because um, which was yeah which was just kind of surprising because DJ isn't a name I've heard a ton about this this spring either mm-hmm. you know like we said this isn't no this isn't me reporting anything because I haven't seen it uh, <laughs> you know it's just me kind of noting like. Uh, it's just a name I haven't heard. I, I haven't heard anything bad, but you know, when you don't hear something as much, sometimes um, you just get skeptical. You know, that, yeah, exactly, and that can say something. Um, and so, hearing Patrick Herbert's name as as a guy that was, you know, being played with the ones was was a pretty big deal to me. And I think uh, I'm optimistic about seeing him out there because he had a high potential coming out of high school. I mean. Yeah. Everyone knows the quote about, you know, he's the most athletic of the Herbert brothers. And obviously, <laughs> when your older brother went top six in the NFL draft, um, that's saying something. So I, I really hope that we can see those those two out there. Um, and and then also the freshmen. I mean, I'm kind of I've kind of said almost every single player on the offense at this point. <laughs> but. <laughs> but as, as we <laughs> usually do, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it'll be cool to see them as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, he was a four-star recruit for a reason. Like, yeah, yeah, and and also a four-star like out of Sheldon. Like, yeah, that is, he was rated higher like, than Herbert. <laughs> yeah, Justin Herbert. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know that is a thing. Like you. People, I think people will have a lot of trouble sometimes, like evaluating recruiting rankings, because mm-hmm. um, they people will be like, "Oh, well, any three star from the South is so good because they're at all the high competitions," and that's kind of true. Um, you know, I mean, they're they're pretty good a lot of times, um, but <laughs> also if you get a four star rating out of Sheldon, yeah, um, or out of like Lebanon, like Keith Brown did, mm-hmm. like you have to pop on film like yeah you know like like um you know scouts don't like make those uh put you up there in the rankings for no reason uh like they kind of you know there's i think there are other programs at you know in southern california or texas or florida where if you know if you the name helps the rating yeah, if you start there, it's just like, oh yeah, he's a four star, sure. You know, like yeah. if he starts for IMG or Modern Day or, Modern or, Day or whatever, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, he's he has to be a four star. If you start for Sheldon, like you have to, you know, I mean, like Herbert, <laughs> Herbert was uh, <laughs> Justin Herbert was a <laughs> yeah. uh, three star, um, you know, and and if he almost was, won if, a state title, or in fact, he yeah, might he might have won some state title. I don't remember. I just remember yeah, but, not, never mind, keep going. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, just, and I think, you know, that's just because people didn't get their eyes on him enough. Um, because there are people in, in, you know, Oregon who saw him and were like, this guy's pretty special. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, it says something if you're a four-star out of there, and it just kind of speaks to the fact that Patrick Herbert um, definitely has some potential uh just to be a breakout guy this year. Yeah, I mean, we're staring down the barrel of a very, very deep tight end room. Um, yeah. Obviously, Johnson, McCormick's still here. Um, I haven't, I don't feel like I've heard a ton about him uh, from spring reports, but I have about yeah. Webb. Um, 
Herbert, obviously the new guys, Matavao and Ferguson are still around too. So we'll see what happens with them. Um, I, I don't, I'm not qualified enough to make this statement, so it's just speculation, but maybe we'll see more, uh, multiple tight end sets because of this. Um, but also it could be a situation where like, maybe we have a lot of good or, you know, we, we have a lot of really good players, but not maybe one or two great, uh, tight ends that stand out again, like that's, you know, depth is still important. Um, you want the best period. Yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, but both both um, both Webb and Patrick Herbert mentioned you know they had like injuries last year. So like you said, I mean I think you know we were rolling with DJ Johnson and personally I was and I know you've said too we're pretty impressed with the effort he was able to put out. But I do think yeah. um, the offense could have been a little limited by by that uh, kind of personnel deficiency in terms of tight end depth, and maybe we will be able to open up some new. Uh, some new looks this year because we have um, really, you know, kind of go four or five deep with pretty capable dudes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we we played a literal, we played uh, Cooper Schultz, is that his name? Yeah. Walk on tight end um, in in a game. Yeah. Which, I mean, kudos to him for getting prepared. No, he went to Jesuit. No, no. But yeah, sorry, you Cooper. know, uh, <laughs> you're not getting my sympathy. <laughs> um, should we hit our first, uh, our first question? Moving on to the defense. Um, yeah, let's do it. First fan question. Yeah, so we had, um, we had at tweaked out one formally uh, laid the great <laughs> R.I.P. to the old R.I.P. to the old account, um, but. Yeah, the man. Uh, he was. He was like, "How do you guys feel about the defensive line?" Um, do, do you want to start out on that? Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, we don't exactly know how the defense is going to look yet with De Reuter, Um but assuming that, how do I put this? We're going to be good. Is what I'm trying to say. We're going to be good. <laughs> I have a lot of confidence in these guys. Um, Obviously, everyone knows KT. Everyone by now knows Popo Malve, um, who will probably hold down the nose tackle spot if, if there is one. Um, but Dor- we've been gassing these guys up for a while now. Dorless and uh, Ware Hudson and Christian Williams have all been just fantastic when they've got, well, yeah. not fantastic maybe, but I mean, they've all shown really, really good signs of development, maybe a little more so than we thought um, when they did get playing time last season. Yeah. I haven't been given any indication uh, from these practice reports that that's slowing down. Um, the defense was really impressive. I think it was last week um, in just forcing turnovers and, I mean, being good. Uh, obviously, that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's always a double-edged sword when you're practicing against your own team. But um, that that's certainly good. Um because as we were saying earlier, I mean, we know the offensive line has been progressing well, so that kind of naturally means that the defenses make good plays, and the defensive line is progressing well too. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, we're gonna be I, good. Yeah, I feel the same way about you. I mean, obviously, you know, I've given the doorless spiel countless times, but <laughs> that I think he is absolutely one to watch um, for a breakout year. 
Uh, and yeah, like you said, I mean, him along with Keon and Christian kind of came in as a three-headed monster of freshman year and have just slowly kind of progressed. And I think this is a year that they take over as, as really solid contributors on the D-line. Uh, Popo is kind of the upper uh, upperclassman there who's been waiting in the wings behind Jordan. I think he's very capable. I think Braden Swinson uh, is a name that I'm really watching uh, to maybe have a, have a pop uh, a breakout year mm-hmm. this year. Um, he's one of your uh, Southern three stars that you were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that he's, uh, he got some run in the Pac-12 championship game last year and a little bit as the season progressed. Uh, and I think if he fills out his frame kind of this off season, he could be kind of the next guy in line, the next, um, you know, one of those kind of, uh, three-star lineman that, um, I, jo- I mean, Joe Salve just seems to have a knack for developing these guys um, mm-hmm. and turning them, turning them into contributors. Um, he's really done a great job at that uh, during his time, just kind of filling out those bodies and having a, having a depth of them uh, on the D-line. Um, and then obviously, you know, you alluded to the big one, which is kind of another question. Uh, you know, a big question I have is, you know, where are we going to see Cave on this Saturday? Mm-hmm. That's been the buzz all spring camp. Um, is he, is he standing up? Is, does he have a hand in the ground? Um, you know, is he an edge guy? What does edge guy mean? Is he an outside linebacker? Uh, the name Vaughn Miller has been thrown around countless times because DeRuder has connect, a connection. Yeah. yeah. So, um, coached him at Texas A&M for those who don't know. Um, so I'm excited to see it. I'm kind of skeptical about how much of it we really will see. Yeah. I think that there's still probably some gamesmanship um, uh, there in terms of hiding stuff that they probably will want to maybe spring on that new quarterback from Ohio State, whoever it is. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. And, and kind of, uh, you know, Mace Funa and Adrian Jackson are two other guys who I am uh, – like Kayvon, I think are super talented, uh, kind of unique playmakers who can wreak havoc on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I'm just curious kind of how uh, DeRuiter will use all of these guys because they don't fit super cleanly into any one position kind of, mm-hmm. but they have this skill set that I think it, you can, they can kind of be an absolute spark to your defense and turn it from good to elite and do these things that, you know, no one else can. Um, so I'm excited to see kind of how DeRuiter plays with all of those guys. Uh, yeah. But Kayvon's obviously the biggest one, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, really it's more so about, like, I mean, think about it this way, right? You talked about the gamesmanship with DeRuiter and not wanting to give away your defensive game plan. I mean, really what I'm looking for in terms of defense is just, like, alignments in terms of who is lining up where, um, and more so the who, just because this is still about just like refining your skills, like getting ready, getting getting physically prepared for the season. Um, there's no re- like you don't need your o- you don't need your defense to practice plays against your offense in the spring right. game, like right. that. Oh, you know, oh, gotta make sure we execute this defensive play correctly so that you know we'll be ready to use it in the fall like no like you said you want to keep that 
to your chest, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but, again, I do want to see who lines up where, mostly just so that I can classify these guys as what freaking position they're playing. <laughs> yeah, no I mean, I'm, I'm still looking at a list that has Kayvon as a defensive end and, like, Christian Williams as a nose tackle, and I'm like, man, I just want some clarity on, like, where these guys will actually be playing positions and even what those positions might be. Because, again, we haven't seen, like, Droider's defense at all for us. Um, yeah, I, I would love to just get, like, an organizational chart exactly. in front of me so I don't exactly. have to look at, like, you know, my own or other people's, like, kind of uh, guess is yeah, slash Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like an educated guess. Yeah, but, I mean, of course, knowing, like, Mario, it will probably just be, like, Kayvon Thibodeau as like an or at literally every position <laughs> in the front seven. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, loved, somehow, loved having three starting running backs for the entire year. Yeah, so, somehow he finds a way to just tell you nothing with those yeah. organizational charts, even though they should be so helpful. But I still, I still somehow every week find myself spending like 20 minutes looking over them, even yeah. though there's like been one change <laughs> yeah exactly um i think our next question um i'm clicking on the wrong tab uh our next question is from party pat at tales of derp um predictions for depth chart surprises coming out of the spring game uh he's got bennett williams down as his take um saying uh Bennett Williams can take takes control of the starting spot, but Scoop will earn minutes with the ones come fall as well. What do you think? Who's who's stepping out? Well, I I like um, I like that idea of Bennett Williams kind of a neck next to Verone McKinley. I think that that has some potential. Um, he's you know I I like I like that take enough. Um, Obviously, as he mentions, uh, Scoop, Damon David, uh, if you don't know, um, is been kind of the breakout uh, practice report guy in mm-hmm. my mind. Like, that is that dude that has flashes of Javon Holland in terms of one of those names. Whereas a true freshman, people are just like, whoa, this dude, this dude can make some plays. Yeah. Um, so that'll be exciting. And that's kind of made me lean towards, in terms of a safety rotation, um, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on Verone. I, I still, I still like Steve Stevens a lot. I think he actually has a good chance to get that starting spot. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, you know, ideally for me, it's Verone, Stevens, Williams, and David are the four that kind of rotate. Um, assuming Jamal Hill stays at uh, nickel. Yeah, I was going to say Jamal Hill. Be um, yeah, um, and Happel's just a guy who I think, you know, if let's just say if we see him uh, for that much time, it kind of means that we're not quite where we want to be. Um, yeah, it just means that nobody else has done enough to, like, step up and overtake him at that spot. Um, that's not to say yeah. he still can't develop. Um, into a better player, but I mean, he is a redshirt senior at this point, so usually, yeah. you know, your skill set is pretty uh, more set, but it's more of a set by then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, do you have any other kind of depth chart um, depth chart surprises? I'm trying to think of what what 
another one I could really sell is? Um, maybe Keith Brown. Um, mm. He's a guy who, his name kind of gets lost in the mix of like Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, ISM at those inside linebacker spots. Um, Keith Brown is for real. Uh, again, like you, like you mentioned earlier, he's from Lebanon, Oregon. Doesn't, doesn't get a ton of respect in recruiting evaluations because of that. Um, but it would just be so sick to have a, another native Oregonian step up and be a, a great inside linebacker. Um, yeah, totally. I, I, I'm really rooting for him. Um, I kind of mentioned Jeremillo earlier uh, for offensive line. Obviously, Kingsley Suamatia is more so the like star name that came out of the last recruiting class uh, that's here. But, I mean, Jeremillo is totally good enough to be in one of those spots, I think. Um, yeah. He's another guy from uh, Oregon native. So I guess my entire answer is just Oregon natives at this point. <laughs> um, and then maybe maybe Josh Delgado. Um now, I know we have so much wide receiver depth now that it's really going to be hard for a guy like that to get snaps, um, which means to me that if he is getting snaps, it's a sign that he's been doing something special in practice mm-hmm. and so- something behind closed doors that we haven't seen. So maybe maybe those three guys I'll give. Delgado, Jeremillo, and uh, what was my first one? Keith Brown. Yeah, I like I like what you said on Delgado. I think I think of him as someone who... He might not be kind of elite in any single area, but I think he's super solid and knows his role. And even, you know, since he came on as a freshman, has just been really willing to go out there and, you know, uh, be a willing blocker and, you know, run a crisp route and just kind of, you know, do what he needs to do to get on the field and make the offense work. Mm -hmm. Um, And is, you know, super unselfish in that way. I think... um, I mean, I've mentioned a few guys like, you know, Cross and Patrick Herbert. Obviously, we've said we said we're kind of two guys to watch. Um, I think uh, I like Chris Hudson was a name at wide receiver. I think kind of like Delgado, mm-hmm. who's a guy who I think a lot of people are looking. The guys we've seen start a lot, and then they're looking at Thornton and Franklin. And I think Hudson and Delgado are kind of those two names that are lost in the shuffle that I actually think have a have a sh- shot to see some snaps. Yeah. Um, and then I'd say um, I think Dylan Davies is a name um, that mm-hmm. uh, I think is gonna could step up at corner early on. I think um, he's just kind of uh, uh, he sees himself on that level. I think coming out of modern day and just having that experience. And um, I remember he did, he did this interview where, you know, uh, I think Greg Biggins, it was, was giving him a hard time for being a a trash talker on the field. And I kind of like, that's the energy you're going to have to have as a freshman to kind of step in and, uh, you know, fight for reps at corner. Yes. But I was going to say, especially at corner, (laughs) you have to be the biggest talker. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, that kind of has always stood out to me. And I think um, he's a guy who who I think could kind of get in there um, and fight for it. Uh, hopeful, you know, hopefully we see Manning. Triquez Bridges uh, is another guy at corner who's going to be in the mix. Brian Addison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I almost forgot to mention this. Brian Addison is moving to corner. This is based on like three pictures I've seen. 
but you just see some of those things where he is like, and you're like, oh my God, that's like a seven foot tall corner. It looks like, <laughs> like, like the length of him at corner, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's like all my, all my PTSD from jump balls against Stanford when I was 12 <laughs> is like wiped away. Uh, <laughs> Six five one ninety is his <laughs> listing, by the way. Former wide receiver, he was already converted to a safety, and so now it sounds like he'll be playing some corner. Um, yeah. So um, that, and then yeah, Steve Stevens, like I mentioned, Steve Stevens is a name that's lost in the shuffle. I think that I, I really think Steve Stevens is has as good of a chance as anyone to claim that spot next to her, the other safety spot next to Verum McKinley. Nice, nice. Yeah. Again, I mean. Mentioning Dante Manning in this category wouldn't really be fair because he's a five-star, but I'm super prepared for Dante Manning to just blow my mind. Um, Right. And maybe even uh, challenge somebody for a starting spot. Probably not, but not this season at least. But, I mean, again, if if Mikhail leaves after this season, hypothetically, um, you know, Manning is kind of like the next guy up if if not him it's Davies um yeah yeah no, you look you look at kind of the room and for me it kind of um you know it's a little different but the immediate thing that comes to mind is a situation we had just two years ago where now it's kind of Mikhail and DJ James are taking the role of Graham and Lenore as kind of these yeah. incumbent guys and Manning would be the Mikhail Wright of past, who's kind of this super young, talented guy who people are going to be like, oh, is, you know, is he actually more talented than DJ James? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, and, and he get, kind of gets, as the season goes on and he gets reps, he kind of mixes in more as a co-starter. Um, if he's able to take that route, I think that's something that you could totally see happening. Yeah, and I mean... It's not inconceivable that a guy like James has a breakout year either and then decides to leave early himself. I mean, right. He it's I guess it's not like really like eligibility is really all scrambled around now because of COVID, but I mean, really like it, we're at an interesting point because all of the cornerback room are listed as sophomores or younger. And yet, yeah. I mean, Mikhail and DJ both have like two years of experience under their belts. Um, yeah, and, and actually both played a decent amount in both those years. Yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't like James got like a couple snaps in garbage time of 2019. Like, no, he played in, in 13 games in 2019. He, yeah, and he was, yeah, yeah. And he was like in the Washington game, especially, I remember, you know, he was taking like fourth quarter snaps in a one possession game against our rival in Seattle. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, that was so. kind of Mikhail's breakout moment. Was well, yeah, was, yeah, because the USC game was after that. Um, yeah. That was sort of his first breakout moment. Was that last play on fourth down against UW? So, I mean, yeah, you never so, know when these guys are going to break out, but sooner rather than later is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that play I always, I always think of because when I saw it um it was such a big deal because he was matched up against uh Puka Nakua who was who was then kind of Oregon and Washington had gone into spring with this rivalry or with this competition to get a commitment from Puka Puka went to Seattle obviously 
and he was their freshman who they're super hyped about. He had already scored them. in that game. Yeah, yeah, he scored. Yeah, he scored at the start of the second half um, in a touchdown that looked like it kind of delivered uh, Oregon. You know, not a knockout blow, but it was like you know the left hook leading into the right. Like if they could have landed one more touchdown there, we might have been um, you know done for in that yeah. game. But yeah, but anyways, when that play happened, I was like oh man, this is awesome, like, Mikhail got him, and, like, this is going to be the start of, like, multiple years of this Mikhail Wright-Puka-Nakua matchup, and then, um, you know, we didn't play Washington last year, and then Nakua transferred to uh, BYU, was it Utah? Okay, Utah. Oh, maybe, um, I forget. I know he's. I know he transferred close to home, and it was one of the Utah. I, I'm gonna. I can... I'm gonna guess Utah. Let me. Let me look it up now that I. <laughs> um. Uh, Nakula. Always do it with two Ks. I don't know why. This is. This is not great. This doesn't tell me his <laughs> name, or this doesn't tell me. BYU Cougars. Okay. Okay. There you go. Um, Wait, is that right? Yes, yeah. Okay, it is. <laughs> now that that's um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, because yeah. they, they didn't block him from playing a year. So it must have been outside the conference. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if you ever transfer in the conference, uh, Lake's going to block you for a year, and then yeah. all of Husky Twitter will come out and defend the decision to yeah, not yeah. allow a 19-year-old to play football for a year. At UCLA. Like, it's some super noble <laughs> thing. But yeah, because there's, no there's no way you could beat UCLA if a kid who transferred <laughs> out of your program gets to play for them. Yeah, because he wasn't getting <laughs> enough playing time in the first place when you were there. I think the moral of the story is just don't commit to UW in the first place. It, it, just, it just makes no sense at all. It, just ma it makes literally, like, no sense. Because it's... They still have contact with the team. It's not like they they can still like say things to the coaches and stuff. It's you know they reserve like, the right to refuse service to yeah. any student who may want to transfer out. Yeah. <laughs> For probably oh, being misevaluated by John Donovan. <laughs> but whatever. Um, we we what was had the next uh, question. It was um, Oh, Isaiah Wolf. Yeah. Uh, uh, he says, think we see Flo have a dominant spring game. That's his take. I love the take. Uh, I hope he has a dominant spring game. Flo hasn't had a moment. He hasn't had a breakout moment yet at Oregon, it's safe to say. Save for maybe one picture that he's flexing in, um, if you consider yeah. that a, a breakout moment. Um, that was really the, like, serious, I'm dead serious. Like, that was the biggest, like, thing he was able to do this year. It's not his fault. He tore his meniscus, but... Um, right. Yeah, I agree. It's again, it's one of those validation things where, like, except it's at a higher standard. Where, like, okay, we we have these huge expectations for this guy, um, and we can, you know, buy into the hype all we want. But at the end of the day, I mean, we want him to make good plays. So let's start checking those boxes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he can kind of lay off the gas a little bit. Maybe no body <laughs> slams of our own yeah. players in the spring game, but uh, that would be nice. But, but yeah, I mean, I think I think he's in line for hopefully a good spring game. Um, uh, you know, I'd like to take. I mean, I'd, I'm super excited to see him out there. Uh, and you've got to think. 
I mean, on one side of the ball or the other, he's going to be in that regular rotation. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the bigger question obviously for me is, is just, you know, what is, what does his playing time look come the fall? Um, and is he, you know, is he able to, I mean, for, uh, you know, he's so talented obviously, but he is in maybe the most loaded room in the, um, on the team, I think, just in terms of the starters. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, like not the depth of the room, but just those first two in Noah Sewell and I- Isaac Slade, Matuatia, are like, you know, uh, you know, t- co- all-conference uh, caliber players, both of them. Mm-hmm. So for him to get reps away from them, he has to be, uh, you know, really special. Now, it just so happens that he was the number one rated inside linebacker in the country so he fits those qualifications yeah (laughs) yeah um but you know if it was if it was anyone less talented if it was just a normal um you know mid four star or something it would be like yeah you know better luck next time maybe some maybe some playing time here and there uh to spell duties but you, you know there's no way you're taking a starting spot but with him uh, he just might be talented enough to do it. So that's going to be exciting. And yeah, hopefully the spring game is kind of an early showcase of that. Yep, exactly. Um, I think that's all the questions we have for now. Um, there's, there's actually, yeah, there's, um, that's, uh, that's most of what I have for like the specific players. There's one other point I just wanted to hit on in terms of the defense mm-hmm. in general, kind of to close out, but unless you have anything else you have kind of with players you want to mention or no go ahead yeah yeah the other thing i just wanted to kind of talk about was um i think we've kind of noticed uh, a kind of change in the whole mood of the defense um you know coming into this spring under deruder mm-hmm. i just think you know i've kind of been reflecting on it over the past um you know spring since avalos left and kind of a weird departure and we didn't see maybe quite as much um you know, pouring out of thanks or support for him on social media. And I think a lot of fans kind of noticed that and were like, what exactly happened there? Um, yeah. Was there kind of a, you know, was there a sour taste in people's mouth? Um, and I, I kind of, you know, um, I don't think it was anything that serious, you know, but I do think that uh, Avalos was just kind of a certain type of personality. I mean, I always mm-hmm. kind of noticed, you know, he's, he's just a serious dude. Yeah. Um, And I think when I remember when he first came in in 2019, there was kind of so much um, energy around the defense and so many players were like, oh, this new this new scheme is super exciting. He kind of unlocked a new potential. And that 2019 defense was awesome. And they had all these guys like Troy Dye and uh, the corners and Javon Holland to kind of rely on. Um, And then it seemed like last year, just all that kind of magic. Uh, kind of fell off and I don't know what it was but I think you know we all were kind of scratching our head after the expectation was a top five defense um, that you know we had games like the Oregon State game or the UCLA game last year where the defense looked average in the Pac-12 at best Mm -hmm. Um, and um, a lot of fans would say worse than that yeah um I mean, shoot, you so, don't give up 40 points to the Beavers having a decent defense that's below decent at that point. Yeah. 
So I guess kind of in that regard, um, personally, I'm like, I'm kind of excited um, about, uh, you know, the addition of DeRuiter, kind of to have this new voice um, in the program on the defensive side. And I think that he probably, um, you know, just brings a kind of different energy to the group that might might be needed, uh, especially given like all the COVID pro- protocols and all of that stuff and all the roster changes we had yesterday, like, or not yesterday, all all the roster changes we had last season. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> Feels <I> said, like <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> um, I think, you know, yeah, DeRuiter just, he seems like he kind of, um, he's a bit more friendly um, of a guy, you know, just if you watch any of his interviews, you can kind of see this. Uh, his demeanor just is a bit different. Um, and he just also just has so much experience. Uh, and I think is such a professional in terms of calling and defense um, that I am optimistic that he'll kind of unlock a different side of this defense and kind of just bring, uh, you know, hopefully bring kind of some of that confidence and swagger back. And it just won't be all, you know, all the stuff we dealt with last year where KT's playing the four eye, like he can't rush the passer anymore. What is this? Yeah. Why are we lining up three yards off the ball? Just like, and, and, and it was kind of just like all of that. And the whole year you're like, Oh, where is Thomas Grant and Javon Holland? Yeah. And, you know, oh, we're losing. Well, yeah, because the expectations were so built up that we were like, oh, my God, we're so juiced. We have KT in his special year. We have Holland in his special year. We got the corners in their special. Like, this is it. This is the season. You know, we had had the four dudes in the press conference uh, all coming back for their senior years. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, man, this is going to be great. And, yeah, then COVID ruined everything but um yeah so i just think that change of energy is is something to watch that maybe could add a spark to this defense and maybe we see kind of some of the swagger that we saw in 2019 and and that comes in part two because guys like verone and kt really can step into leadership roles and even like noah sewell i think you know he seems like a um a leadership type of player but you can't really do that um, unless you're Troy Dye as a freshman, you know, you, yeah. you know, for a certain period, you have to kind of wait in the wings. And I think given how much he played last year, now Sewell's a guy who can come in and kind of command respect and attention from the team. And Isaac Slade is so experienced. You know, I, I think, I just think that a lot of things should kind of come together for this defense to just kind of feel weight lifted off of them this season. And maybe that, maybe this defense comes back and delivers a kind of top, 20 or top 15, you know, product in the country or who knows? Yeah. And I mean, what the ceiling is. If, if we do get to top 15 or top 20, I mean, that's pretty much guaranteed that we're one of, if not the best in the Pac 12. So, right. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it it will be the best in the Pac 12, probably. Um, Something that might uh, ignite DeRoyter himself a little bit, hopefully. we saw some salary changes to the assistant coaches. Um, this is something you reminded me of right before the show. Uh, slight increases um, across the board for guys. Uh, obviously, some of them, like Marcel Yates, are, it's not really an increase because he wasn't here last year um, as, mm-hmm. as the safeties coach. So, um, Just kind of a noteworthy thing there. Uh, basically, what it does mean, though, is that Oregon is now in a – we've moved up a tier in terms of coaching salaries. 
meaning that we can afford now to pay our offensive line coach 600 grand. I mean, that, that is exactly Mirabal's salary in 2021. Um, I mean, we can afford to pay guys like Joe Salavea that kind of money. Um, and that, that makes it easier to hire coaches, um, makes it easier to keep coaches that you like. Um, and it's just an overall good sign that things are going smoothly um, and that the athletic department or whoever the hell is, I, I don't know the inner workings of the University of Oregon monetary system, but... Um, it just yeah, means mostly, that, or uh, not mostly. Um, God, what am I? Th- whose name? It just means we're on track. Mullins. Yeah. Mullins. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I just uh, blanked on that. It one took me a, a second. second too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think Mullins is the one who has to has to approve. But yeah, anyways, like you said, I think you know you're never going to be able to avoid um, coaches being poached. You know if if they want to turn your running backs coach into offensive coordinator or whatever, yeah, or, or your coordinator into a head coach. But this, like you said, it moves us up a tier to the point where, you know, it's going to, it's going to be hard pressed for a team to come out and say, Oh, you're, you know, uh, Brian McClendon, you coach the wide receivers at Oregon, come coach the wide receivers at uh, USC for, however much more yeah it's probably not going to happen um you know given the commitment that we're seeing you know i mean there's always alabama or something that you know maybe the elite 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 teams are able to you know do that type of thing but for the most part it kind of says you know if you're leaving oregon you're probably going to be leaving for a promotion yeah and that's a really good thing um, and yeah, you know, McClendon was a guy I mentioned who had a big increase. Um, and same with Mirabal. Those were kind of the two biggest ones. Um, and yeah, McClendon is, I mean, McClendon's earned every penny of that in terms of his recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with, I mean, same with Mirabal. Those, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I kind of was looking at those and wondering, like, um, what are the mechanics of those contracts? Is there a I wondered if there was kind of some bonus. Uh, I'm sure there's got to be built-in bonuses of some sort yeah, in those. Because you, you see the recruiting classes that the, those two just hold in, hold in, and then you see the salary bump, and it seems like uh, there's a correlation there, definitely. Yeah, those guys got the biggest bumps, uh, along with Moorhead, who is now past a million. Um, he's right. the only one past a million, but uh, Deroyter's clo- not far behind at 825, so... Again, it, it's just nothing but good news on that front. Um, just continuing to build a, a more sustainable program. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, you know, when, when we get this type of investment, then you fall, if we can follow it up with a successful season, then it kind of is evidence that, that it's worth it. I think it's also, you know, um, obviously kind of to plug the other thing we're doing, if you don't know, is, is kind of this thing going through the history of Oregon football. Um, this other series we kind of are going to have going through on throughout, um, the off season, but, um, kind of, I think it helps that Mullins has seen what a successful football product does at the university of Oregon before. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't foreign to him. He knows, you know, he knows what the Chip Kelly era was like. Um, and you know, when you go to a national championship or two and you go to, uh, you know, multiple, uh, new year, six bowl games in a row, he's seen the benefits that can bring. And I think that that makes him more willing to dedicate this type of, 
money and resources to the program. And so hopefully if we kind of can succeed on this investment, then it will pay forward and kind of will keep on, um, you know, Paying moving dividends. nuts the chain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are the type of things that kind of flow through the background of programs in college football. And if, unless you're paying attention to it, it'll just go right by you. Um, and I mean, for the most part, you can kind of assume who the biggest players are in terms of like, or not players, who the biggest like schools are in terms of like how much they pay their assistants. Um, it's it's the names you would expect, like the Bamas and Clemsons, and that's for a reason. I mean, it's because they, you know, do are expected to do the best jobs. Um, so yeah. yeah, but I want yeah, I wonder. Um, you know, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it would be interesting to look like. What what is the progression of Clemson's contract? Um, yeah, that would be interesting. Cool, yeah. cool. Been over the past ten years as they've kind of made this rise because obviously, you know, ten years ago they were they were like Oregon is now. They you know they would show up to a um, BCS bowl back then, uh, and they had a you know some good quarterbacks, Taj Boyd and stuff. But you know it, they weren't. Uh, no one thought of Clemson as oh yeah they're they're the second team off your tongue in terms of a national title contender until yeah. like 2016. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I would, yeah, I think it would be interesting to look at what the progression of that is and kind of that's, you know, that's the, the model as everyone knows for how to kind of build a program as you slowly get up. And then when you make a, you know, national championship, you build on it and then you get back and hopefully you finally break through and win one. Tying this into uh, our next discussion. Hey, everybody. This is where this spring preview episode ends. This is the point where Reed and I launch into a two-hour argument about uh, the college football <laughs> playoff expansion. And, yeah. Go check that out. Yeah. should be the next Yeah, we're episode. just going to... We'll put it as a bonus episode on the feed right after that. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. And yeah, enjoy the spring game Saturday. Uh, we'll have another podcast up recapping that um, when it's over. Yeah. Have a good one, y'all. Go Ducks. Go Ducks.